So Spotify brings audiobooks to the US. Personally, to me, this is goodbye to Audible because as far as I understand, Spotify's model is much more interesting. The switch from Ethereum from proof of work to proof of stake. And this is revolutionary in terms of blockchain technologies. Shorts will become part of the partner program of YouTube. Content creators who qualify will get a share of the ad money and those who do not qualify, for them it should be easier to make money. 80% of the largest US corporations monitor their employees' mouse tracking, pictures of the employees with the integrated camera, and the whole thing is totally legal. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode 33 of the Tech Review. Every two weeks, we gather to discuss the hottest topic in science, technology, and innovation. On camera four today, we have Vincent. On camera three, we have Chris. On camera two, we have Henrike. And on camera one, this is me. Hi, I'm Tarek. And of course, if you like what you see here, you can visit us at ideasengineering.io, freetech.academy or update.com, which we now also have here on our social media stream. And now let's jump into the news because we have a lot of topics to cover. And since we are delayed this week, uh, on, Wednesday, on Tuesday we could not stream because of some technical difficulties, because I'm not in my regular streaming location. Uh, we have to cover this today on this Friday. So greetings to the USA, Germany and Peru, where all of our watchers and listeners are sitting. Let's start with Vincent. Absolutely. Which one is it? Spotify brings audiobooks to the US. Yes, yes. that's the better one of my two articles. Nice that <laughs> we start with that one. Yeah, so Spotify brings audiobooks to the US. And um, personally, to me, this is goodbye to Audible. Um, because uh, in as far as I understand, uh, Spotify's model is much more interesting, at least for me personally, uh, because it is different to Audible. So um, what Spotify does is that they bring um, audiobooks to the platform, uh, now to the US, and then later they're going to bring it also to other countries. Um, I mean, we do have audiobooks on there as part of our regular subscription, but what Spotify now does is they're rehauling the whole project and launching, um, relaunching the audiobook sector. It's going to be a dedicated tab, just like podcasts and music. And the interesting thing, and that is what really separates them from Audible, is that they have different prices for different audiobooks. So um, we can see that some of them will be more expensive, some of them will be more cheap. Cheap is not the right word. More for price sensitive. I don't know how to say that. Anyways, the price will be lower uh, than what we would pay at other platforms. And that is what makes it so interesting. Um, Spotify has an uh, interesting history with monetization, right? I mean, they um, are sticking to the same price for quite some time now, but they launched the creator program, which actually took off quite well, um, surprisingly, in my opinion. And um, now they have this. And uh, I'm really interested in to see how this is going right now. It is with 300,000 audiobooks, which obviously is not the majority. There are much more, many more. Um, but yeah, it's a start, and I'm really keen on seeing this in Germany and in Europe to see how the prices translate. Really cool, just to see. Yeah. So, but how about if you're Spotify Premium already, then still you have to pay for the audiobooks separately? Okay. Um, yeah, um, as far as I understand, there are audiobooks that will be just free to the platform, uh, free mm -hmm. slash when you're a premium subscriber. 
um, and you can listen to that, period. Um, but most of them will be in a kind of freemium model. So you will be able to listen into the audiobook much longer than you are on Audible. Um, the whole the whole idea of this rehaul is to bring more usability and more consumer friendliness into the process. So you'll be able to hear a big portion of what the audiobook is and how, how it works and everything um, or how it's designed. I don't know how the right language is there, but the right wording. But um, you will be able to have a good view into the audiobook before purchasing it. And the same rule applies. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, if you listen to this and you read the article, uh, but as far as I understand, you'll be owning the audiobook as well, just like on Audible. I can completely understand why they're going this way. Um, so far, Amazon has this, uh, let's say, smart move of having the complete user login where I listen to my Audible audiobooks and I listen to Amazon Music and everything is in one package. But I could imagine that Spotify wants to achieve this as well. So I have my Spotify subscription and I have my audiobooks on Spotify and everything. I think that Spotify is just really, they really look at what they did with podcasting, right? And they saw how, or they they are coming from this perspective, listen, there was Apple Podcast and everybody who's listening to podcasts and Apple Podcast. And then there was YouTube kind of as like a second platform. And then Spotify came and took, oh, overtook this market completely. Uh, with Apple Podcasts actually not growing anymore now, uh, to Spotify booming in the part, uh, podcast segment. And we will look at the uh, creator program they launched um, a few, I think, a year now from, like a year back now, roundabout, right maybe less, maybe 10, 10 months, something like that. Um, this was specifically for um, creators in the podcast segment. So this is what they did just yet. And they're like, okay, well, no, let's step up the game. Let's do the same for audiobooks because audiobooks we know is a big market but there are not that many players right now um forming like this monopolistic position that maybe netflix slash now maybe even disney has i don't know but specifically spotify has in the music market yeah i i really looking forward to this because i am one of these victims who actually s searching for a service where I can, with good consciences, uh, let myself log in. For example, with Alexa, I have like this Alexa device at home and it's really a pain to configure it to play music from Spotify, but my, uh, my uh, web radio from TuneIn, but then again, like my audiobook from, uh, from Audible, everything, and then I have to configure it for every single purpose, like a different app, while it would be probably easier to just have everything out of one hand. And I could imagine that um, th this is the, the big goal, that people feel that comfortable, that they can hear their, their audiobooks and their podcasts and their web radio and everything from one and the same source and now this and it's purple <laughs> <laughs> no has for any longer nope i was just about to say that yeah. <laughs> and also no other football club I, I never understood what you mean because i do not watch football so i have no idea what this is <laughs> But have you checked out then uh, afterwards how the HSV flag looks like or, no, or to, logo? To be honest, not even. It, it's it's completely beyond me. I have I have no interest at all in in local soccer. I mean. 
to be honest, I'm looking forward to the uh, World Cup in Qatar, even though it's very controversial and we are all supposed to boycott it. Um, but it will be very different to the usual World Cup that we have. And this time having it in wintertime, um, I'm very curious to see how it's going to look. Interesting. I mean, because I think a lot of regular football fans there, as you said, kind of are into boycotting it. But now non-football fans are actually <laughs> going to turn in and watch it. So, yeah, kind yeah, of. For the FIFA, it will turn out just perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, I'm We have this one. random 60% audience. It's new. Nobody knows where it comes from. <laughs> what do we do with them? <laughs> and it's... <laughs> It behaves strangely. Yeah, but lo local football clubs are completely out of my interest range. I have no interest in watching like a private soccer club playing and uh, competing with each other because this is, I don't know. I like this this international challenge, this international uh, competition of actually seeing like the best players from one nation competing against the others. It's like Olympics, right? Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, don't check out the Hasbro logo because it looks exactly like the transition okay, we had before. Damn it. So. <laughs> you actually know it. <laughs> You're forcing me to watch it, to, to look at it. <laughs> okay, next article comes from me and it is one of my favorite topics, but this is something that actually happened, I think already last week. Um, yeah, September 15th. And it is the big merge. This is the, the big event that we were all waiting for, at least we all in the crypto scene. Uh, and it's the switch from Ethereum from proof of work to proof of stake. And this is like revolutionary in terms of blockchain technologies because the two biggest blockchains that we know and that we are working with, which is Bitcoin and Ethereum, until this event, both were working with proof of work, which means that they were... Uh, producing no they they were consuming a lot of energy a lot of electrical energy and since these blockchains were still growing because it was very very um, profitable to to invest in it and to work with it and to mine it it was a ever-growing energy consuming monstrosity yeah, and it's uncontrollable because we can't just shut it down it's a decentralized network and especially now with nfts we have a lot of uh, dependent dependencies to the Ethereum blockchain. And the more uh, NFTs are mined and smart contracts are mined on the Ethereum blockchain, energy consumption was rising. And this was one of the biggest arguments against using Ethereum as a blockchain technology. And now with proof of stake, the energy cons consumption, the energy requirement was reduced by 99.9%. .9%. And this is really, really incredible. And this opens up the doors for all this talk about Web3 and decentralization and actually using smart contracts and actually using NFTs the way they uh, were supposed to be without this bad conscience of burning these vast amounts of energy. And so I hope, and this is my, my personal hope, that Bitcoin will either follow this path and also reduce or and also switch their consensus mechanism the, sorry the the um the proof of work mechanism to proof of stake um so that we can also reduce and get rid of um this energy cons consumption of bitcoin um or let's just let it die we have so many altcoins which could take over the role of bitcoin but now bitcoin is the single blockchain that is still burning this amount of energy um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to see also what 
um, on the financial market is going to happen now that Ethereum is from technological and ecological point of view the, the really, really good choice for usage. And if this means that Ethereum prices will rise. Right now, everything is like down. <laughs> the whole financial market is down. So Bitcoin and Ethereum are on uh, very, very low levels. And we do not see any impact yet from this technological change. But I could imagine that as soon as the financial markets will regain power, that Ethereum might grow faster than the other um, blockchain technologies. And maybe even uh, like kill Bitcoin. I don't know. <laughs> this is, I could imagine that people who are really into this uh, crypto market uh, would laugh at me for, for this kind of assumption, because to be honest, I have no idea about uh, financial markets. But in terms of technology and in terms of being future proof, this is a really big step for Ethereum. And I could really Im imagine that Ethereum will become more relevant than it actually was before. So not I, I have a stupid question yes, please. about this. I've, I mean, I do understand the concept of proof of work and proof of um, stake. Um, however, what I don't understand is, um, and maybe this is really really dumb and shows that I maybe don't understand uh, those concepts completely. But how is it that we need that uh, cryptocurrency needs to transition from proof of work to proof of stake? Why can't we prove of stake? something right away since it's a digital currency is this is this a valid question i don't know uh, yes i mean um you have to understand that this is a decentralized system and the big quality of this decentralized system is that it is decentralized so it's not like one central server where someone could do some changes because he owns the server if you have a, like a bank account at one certain bank in theory someone could go in there into the database and change like your account i mean this will not happen because the the bank has a lot of security but uh, you have to trust the bank the bank owns your bank account and the the great thing about blockchains and why cryptocurrency is this alternative for uh, banking is that it is decentralized so nobody can make modifications only with this consensus mechanism where your verified transaction is independently verified by 50% or more of all nodes only then this transaction becomes reality in the blockchain and the same happens with the mechanism that makes the blockchain tick nobody owns the blockchain and nobody owns the implementation so if you say yeah let's just switch it you can't because only like this this general consensus ne needs to happen and can change the mechanism within the blockchain and that's why if for example all the stakeholders in bitcoin they do not want this change to happen because they make money by physically mining in their their mining rigs with proof of work and they bought like uh, thousands of computers to do this stuff if they vote against changes like this the blockchain can't change. You might be able to make a fork like creating a, a sister blockchain that works uh, similarly, but you can't change anything in the blockchain if it's not um, approved by the majority of the nodes. That's exactly the, the point. Okay, I do, I, I do understand how the blockchain and um, the system behind it works. Um, but so just as a recap, this means that technically we could do a technological very similar... Uh, 
protocol-wise uh, cryptocurrency that from the beginning on could be proof of stake. Yes. Because we could write into the blockchain there are 1 billion Tarek coins and that's it. You can't mine any more of these and that we could mine Bitcoin in the past was just because we had big mining conglomerates voting against it because this was their business model. Sure. I mean, uh, okay. I don't. I don't think that any modern coin that is created today or in the past years was actually using proof of work because we found out very early that this is not a really good working and scalable approach. But Bitcoin is like the OG blockchain, the thing that, that was created as showcase of how a decentralized currency could work. And on paper and on a handful of computers, it's, it's great. But if you roll it out like worldwide and you have millions or hundreds of thousands of, of computers doing this, then it's the, the amount of energy that we are burning without necessity is, is just increasing. So um, today we have better architectures and better mechanisms. I don't think that anyone would invest today in a new blockchain that is built on top of proof of work. This is, yeah, like old school. I wasn't aware that most of the blockchains are not proof of work but proof of stake yeah. i was under the impression that most of them are just there and you could mine them but nobody just just did not bother because you had like the big mm. blockchains you were able to mine so okay that makes yeah. a lot more sense now <laughs> but do you really think it will push away bitcoin i mean bitcoin is really really very very established right and um, we see that very often that uh, sometimes you have the impression that this coin or that coin might be the better one technologically wise, but nonetheless, it does not lead in the investment market to the situation that suddenly this better coin is going um, upwards and, and Bitcoin is losing or something. In the end, um, the market more or less always follows Bitcoin. That's my impression. And um, well, I I would say that with this new um, development um, in Ethereum, probably it will um, rise more than it or it will it, in 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 the end it will have a, a better value than it had before. Um, but I couldn't imagine that it really will um, take away Bitcoin's pole position in the whole market. Yeah. To be honest, yeah. You're probably right. People are stupid. Uh, and even though it does not make sense and it is a bad technology, people like trading Bitcoin and they value Bitcoin very high and they want to have Bitcoin because Bitcoin is Bitcoin. And so I, I, I probably agree with you that even though it is still the worst blockchain that uh, we have in, in the larger scale, people will continue trading with it because they are still expecting it to be the most valuable and so uh, what the financial people are doing and what the <laughs> engineers are doing it does not really always match and so you're probably right people will continue uh, trading with bitcoin for a long time even though it's a very very bad technology yeah and in the end i mean the whole crypto thing is is also like a gaming market right so uh, in the end most of the people who deal with all these coins do not really understand or are even interested 
in yes. the technology behind that. Right. For them, it's just a game. And Bitcoin, as you say, Bitcoin is Bitcoin, Bitcoin is established, Bitcoin has a name, Bitcoin is well known, and all the others are just, um, yeah, just just names. Yeah. And um, so sometimes they put their money on that one, on this one, but not because of technological reasons, but just because um, the course is either going up or down and they just, well, place their bets, so to say. Yeah. And also the environmental impact, um, it's it's enormous. And everyone agrees that we have to save the environment. But if you are then forced to lose millions of revenue because you are a professional Bitcoin miner, then suddenly it's it's not worth it, right? And uh, if, if you really have to invest a lot of your personal fortune to save the environment, then it, it becomes less attractive. <laughs> And now, this. And now, Henrike. Alrighty. So I just have one article, so that will be a quick one, I guess. Um, it's about YouTube and its uh, monetization strategy for YouTube Shorts. Um, they say in the in the article that um, Shorts will become part of the partner program of YouTube. Those um, content creators who qualify will get a share of the ad money generated with shorts and those who do not qualify for them, it should be easier to make money through subscriptions, um, merch sales and other stuff. Um, in a nutshell, it says um, there will be more and better options to make money compared to TikTok. Um, How did shorts monetize until now? Um, through creator funds, shopping, etc., which was similar to Instagram and TikTok. And usually um, YouTube gets 45% and creators 55%, and they will switch it uh, with shorts. Why? To be able to pay for the music that is used in, in shorts um, so that you as a content creator are able to use everything without worrying about um, the rights. But what is also said that a lot of the details in order to make this work are not figured out yet. Um, the rough plan is um, you open shorts, you watch maybe six videos, uh, see two ads, and then you leave the app. Um, and then the revenue will be split among these six videos. But what if, if it's a duet? What if it's a remix of another video? What if you watch a full video in between and then a shorts again? Um, all these things haven't been figured out yet and are still like in, in discussions. Um, also, there's another issue that it's been uh, quoted there. Views for shorts is as important as watch time for long videos. But what actually counts as a view? Because then they also said um, we do not count it right away when it shows up. So what then is a view? Like how many seconds have to pass, so to say. Um, also, this means in the end that shorts will likely be less um, um, beneficial for um, for the most popular channels who will now have to share revenues with everything else in the feed. And That actually seems to be the goal described at the end of the article because in the end it helps to get more creators on the platform through it. Although the, the established ones um, kind of have to, um, yeah, what's the right say there? I mean, 
they probably won't be as happy with it um, as the new ones. So um, yeah, that, that's basically it. It does not really have like a big question because it, it, it would be interesting to figure out if this strategy then turns out to be successful. Um, but maybe Tarek as our content creator on YouTube <laughs> already has an opinion on that, how this uh, maybe can also be beneficial for you. Because um, I, although I really like your content, I'm not sure if you count already as, um, as how did they describe it at the beginning, like the, those who qualify already. Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually a big topic for me and I'm watching it very, very closely um, because I, I am co creating content on YouTube and TikTok. And so far, it was not really a rewarding to post shorts on YouTube because it was, um, at least in the past, disconnected from your main YouTube channel. So you either create uh, TikToks, uh, sorry, you either create YouTube shorts or long-term uh, content and it, it did not really benefit from each other. A couple of weeks ago, they, they had this first major change where they like connected the algorithm for the shorts and the long-term uh, videos so that viewers who like your short-term content were actually able to find and subscribe your long-term uh, content because it will then be shown on yeah like your recommendations feed and now that they are also attacking the monetization area i believe that tiktok now is actually under the threat that content creators will start preferring creating the content for youtube or at least not hold back and post everything that they have in short-term uh, content on tiktok also on youtube because now it can be a viable part of your content strategy and you can use and now now basically youtube has this ecosystem complete where you have your live streams and your short-term content and your content on demand and everything benefits your whole uh, your whole channel you can uh, gain more money you can gain more followers and everything and so it is very very valuable to create content or more valuable now on on youtube and of course tiktok is not going to die but the platforms they are competing for the creative content creators right and uh, so far tiktok was the king because they had everything they had um, this attractive algorithm the huge amount of followers and th this at least with their sponsorships and their um, uh, creator fund some way of quickly monetize your videos which youtube absolutely did not have uh, and that's why i believe that this might be one of the most important strikes against uh, TikTok from YouTube side. But uh, I believe that Vincent also has an opinion on that. I agree, Tarek. I agree with you completely on this. Uh, I think that's um, when we, I mean, every user knows this when you go through TikTok and you look up an account that looks kind of professional. So somebody who looks like putting in a lot of work there, you can see that those always link out to Instagram. They always link out to YouTube because this is the way to monetize, right? They go to Instagram to build up a following to either then channel to YouTube or to, you know, do something else on Instagram. And they go to YouTube so they can on YouTube then after some time uh, apply for the creator uh, monetization program and then or the partner program um, and then monetize via their videos. Now, um, the danger is that once you exit TikTok because you want to follow a creator, on one of their other platforms, um, 
you won't come back because now Tiger's right. It doesn't ma doesn't make a lot of sense to create YouTube first. Um, YouTube has much more capabilities. It's much more um, it's it's much more mature as a platform. Um, not saying that the algorithm of Shorts is better. I think that Shorts. I think Google slash YouTube. They still don't understand shorts completely themselves i think they they need still need time when you use shorts you see that it's just not as round as tiktok is um but still youtube is much more advanced in terms of how do you monetize how to understand what a user really needs like how how does the platform in front of works and i mean remember a few a few months ago, I brought any article, I don't know what it was, but it, uh, yeah, that TikTok is gaining market share against entertainment platforms such as YouTube and not social platforms mm -hmm. such as Instagram and Facebook and Snap. And um, this all comes down to, okay, who who is the, the big player in the entertainment industry? And up until now was YouTube. Um, and with that step, YouTube uh, once again puts some distance between them and TikTok because now um, you have all the great features and more because Tyler, like you mentioned the creator fund TikTok, but we all know that this is much more a gesture than it's actually true. Um, when creators like big, 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 big creators make a few hundred bucks with millions and millions of views. Yeah. I think it's really, um, I think the the approach is is uh, the, the totally right, and I'm I'm really curious to see how they will fix the issues that that were mentioned, like all these edge cases. I mean, and if they figure out that, so that in the end there's is like a transparent solution to what happens if you know it's a duet or it's a remix or whatever. There's a long video in between. If they have a solution for all of that, and it's clear to everybody how you get the money and what's your share on that kind of it's the holy grail <laughs> um right. to all of that and then it's i mean it's it's super attractive to you know to for content creators to to go on youtube and yeah. i think because i mean we also when it comes to monetizing within news and uh, news media um when it's you know whether you go with micropayments or like the subscription models and we're always like struggling or cannot overcome these kind of edge cases then in the end so far and this i'm pretty sure if they figure it out this can be like for other industries also very interesting to see and maybe helps to find new solutions there as well and now this next one is chris ah this one yeah all right so yeah i've brought an article um which i thought is quite interesting in regards to the discussions we had um last time actually that is the ai generated art which we know from dali for his exist uh, for instance um but so far we have actually spoken about um pieces of art which came out as 2d pieces as pictures right and um, what we now see here is a new, though also, also, also to say, the, the next generation of DALIs, if you want to put it that way. And that is AI models, which are able to generate 3D models, right? So not just pictures, two-dimensional, but really 3D models. And um, the article tells about like uh, Google Dreamfields, which was uh, at the end of 2021 there. Um, 
And that is actually combining OpenAPI's clip with a nerve generator. And um, in this combination, dream fields can create simple nerves just from text description. Um, so more or less, it's the same principle as with DALI, but not with, as said, 2D pictures, but with 3D models. And um, recently, there was a research paper from an, from a university in, in Canada, Con Concordia University. And um, there, the researchers actually have demonstrated um, the object of this article, which is called Clip Mesh. And that is combining a generative AI model and that can directly generate 3D mesh models with textures, normal maps and everything, uh, also just from text description. And if you uh, have a look at the videos, um, you can see that that is already, well, still at the beginning, but nonetheless, therefore quite striking, I'd say. And um, so if we, if, if, if that actually would show like a similar speed as we have seen that with uh, like the 2D systems, right? So if you look where they come from and how they have emerged into their evolution up to DALI systems or the DALI system, which we have now, if we see the same speed and the same development in these 3D systems, then um, there might be one area which might be stirred up, so to say, in the job market, which is, of course, the 3D programming and design area, I could imagine. And if you would take that even further, right, so then the next steps would not be just to create 3D models just by prompting some keywords or just by um, uh, spoken input, but then you would be able to create whole worlds, Right. So um, like not just the three dimensional um, models, but really create whole worlds based on that. And then the next area I could imagine would come into into the risk of being obsolete might be the whole adventure and gaming industry um, just because of systems like these. And um, yeah, so this is something I wanted to put into the discussion so to say, as the next evolutionary step of what we have discussed last time when we were talking about um, the AI system that has won um, this this art prize there and uh, which actually uh, was the reason for lots of discussion afterwards. Yeah, I don't think that, um, that authors of um, 3D art or 2D art or objects will be obsolete, but they will have this competition of automated generated assets and i could believe that if you have for example a computer game or something like that and someone is scripting this game and creating this game then it is from the mind of these creators this is their intellectual property but we will now have competing art and competing objects and competing stuff that might be generated on the fly so you might have a, a computer game that has elements in there that are not pre-scripted but that are generated while the user is playing. This is one of these topics that uh, Alex and I keep discussing all the time and for years that this is probably one way of, of future movies or computer games where the content changes based on, um, on, on the input of the audience, for example. And this is something that, of course, can't be done pre-scripted. It's like... Um, what was it called in the in the past? Uh, these games, das Schwarze Auge, these role play games where you you have to make decisions, go left or go oh, yeah. right, and if you go left, uh, continue on page uh, thirty two or something, and then you jump there. Turn based game. Um, th this was choices, but pre scripted, and in this case, you might 
make changes on the fly on this virtual world that you're moving in based on your user input and because you make some changes the world changes on the fly because the ai can adapt while you're playing really really cool yeah but take that even a little step further right so if um, the quality gets better on these right so on the one hand uh, of course um the vision that you have so the the quality of the 3d models and maybe the of the created 3d worlds but also um the quality of the story so to say which stands behind that and um then that would be like really amazing so just imagine we had i think we have spoken about that once in a tech review there was this ai which was crea creating uh well stories AI, ai dungeon it was at that time and now just imagine you have like um a 3d art creation system like we are talking about now you have um, a powerful um, story creation system like ai dungeon you combine that and then you could just by the push of a button create a whole world a whole story a whole game um online game and and or, or um, and could walk actually through that without uh, a game designer ever actually has put their their code into that so that is really a striking idea and if we put take that a little bit further then um, we are again at the philosophical discussion if or if not the whole world the whole reality just might be um, a simulation because <laughs> if we have like powerful systems like that in the back then that might be a possibility always <laughs> it will be really curious to see then if, if, what you just described right how for us as a consumer as a user how relatable and real it will feel compared to if really like there is some human input that always um kind of gives the level of um what we know and what we kind of connect with um, with the surrounding with the storyline in one way or another like it's not just like being creative of how it looks like but if everything really just comes from the push of a button like we as humans how will we be like irritated by that because it's so out of what we know and what we kind of could imagine ourselves or would that fascinate us like the reaction to this will be quite interesting to see i could imagine that it will work uh, like with a tiktok algorithm uh, you have multiple users interacting with this world and the AI learns from user uh, engagement. And there might be some mm -hmm. uh, creative decisions that the AI takes that creates a lot of enjoyment and interaction and engagement by the users. Or they just turn around and walk away, like swiping <laughs> the content away. And then the AI yeah. will learn what kind of uh, experiences fits which user and then it will serve you exactly this kind of engaging content um, that you want to consume right mm. it's going to be like a, a rabbit hole logic where yeah. we're going to have the majority yeah. the for you page you know where everything is and we see trends and we see stuff that we like and then you know stuff in between and then we're going to have those sessions where we're going to really double down on a super specific simulation of something that might be not weird, might be super freaking weird. And uh, the AI will understand that we're in this mood or not. I mean, it could be really crazy. 
you know these content bubbles that you sometimes slide in a TikTok because you watched one cat video for too long and then you're suddenly bombarded with cat content. I could imagine that while I'm watching videos or I'm moving through uh, like a 3D world, suddenly everything is cats. <laughs> it's just cats here and cats <laughs> there because I, I st spent too much time in, in the cat bubble and suddenly my horror movie is filled with cats and my action movie is filled with cats and my uh, World of Warcraft is suddenly filled with cats. <laughs> yeah, but, but think about like um, there will be some kind of quality development also right so i mean we are talking about like systems which are still at the beginning so dali also was at their beginnings at one time and now see what they what they can create and um so with these three model generators as said also at the beginning so we are not talking about world generators here at the moment but if you think that idea or if you take that a little bit further over the next five ten twenty years then there is at least a potential that these systems could create whole worlds which um, might not um, irritate us, as you said, Henrique, maybe not even fascinate us. Maybe they just would seem to us as absolutely normal. And then we are exactly at the point. So then you would be able to create some kind of matrix, if you want to call it that way. And then um, who can tell that this has not happened before? <laughs> So the other, to put it the other way around, um, look out for the glitches. <laughs> and now this. Next one is Vincent. You're muted. Now, sorry. Yes. Uh, yeah. So uh, mine is a quick one. It's about Apple raising prices uh, in the European App Store. Um, interestingly enough, one of the big reasons is that inflation pushed the euro against the dollar or the other way around. Depends on how we want to look at this. And now they're adapting prices. Uh, effectively, from the 5th of October, they the absolute prices will rise um, extensively, by the way. Uh, there are examples in the article. So uh, 10.99 will be 11.99. Uh, 99 cents will be uh, 1.19, stuff like that. So a lot. And we saw this with the iPhone, we saw this with Apple Watch, uh, all of those devices got more expensive by a lot, by far, and we know that these clocks are not turned upside down at any point, so we'll just stick to those prices forever if they don't rise again. And this actually is a question that I, and the article closes, by the way, with saying that if you want as a subscription-based app, and I mean, most of them are freemium subscription-based now, a lot of them are, um, they will not change. So if you have a subscription, I don't know, you're paying two ninety nine for, I don't know, AirPlay Hero, like I do. Um, you, um, this will stay. And this is a question that I, because this is not like a big news. I mean, yeah, it is, but okay, whatever. But then I thought, what about subscription models that we have? So why don't we, as a publishing business, um, push our subscription prices up because of inflation, uh, more risk in uh, resources like paper and stuff like that. Uh, there is more to it than just that, I know. Uh, obviously, we want to uh, subscription, digital subscriptions in the news business is still something that grows a lot. So we want to attract new people with low prices before we push them up. These business cases we know from all sectors. I mean, look at Netflix, look at Disney. 
Disney just did it. Uh, look at all these platforms. But um, then again, on the other hand, uh, the your money is getting devalued every day. So maybe uh, this is something that we should also consider just as a preventional measure uh, because eventually we will need to do this, but then it might be too late. But what well, you the thing is, I, I guess, uh, sorry, um, that it's still like a task for publishers to convince people to pay for news. This is still a problem. So if you jump with the prices too high too early, you I think the risk of people um, completely like uh, canceling their subscription is super high. Especially I guess if that's the reason. Especially if you take into consideration what you also said, that there's like inflation out there and everything. So what you just described, I do not see just only in the Apple store. So this I only see, I also see in the, in the supermarket just around the corner. So everything is like rising, maybe just a bit, but all of that. Hmm. And um, so that is also another argument which might uh, get into the same direction as uh, Henrique said, so that um, you have to convince people actually to buy or to pay for for news and this in an environment where everything else um, is getting more expensive and prices are rising then you might force them actually to to set priorities and maybe they already set their priorities and said okay look if i pay for my bread i maybe save the money with my news abo and if you, on the other hand, say, okay, but then I rise my prices also, then it would be, would might be even easier for them to say, okay, then I just go for the one, for the bread, and not for the other. True, but then again, um, the same situation applies to us as a publisher, right? We need to pay salaries, we're buying resources, so this is also an argument that we could also make. And on top of that, what I'm seeing I think that if this is a trend that continues, and honestly, I don't see that continuing trend um, stopping very soon, uh, we eventually will need to do it. Um, and I also see the same issue in the Apple Store. I mean, Apple, yes, has a very unique position of being a monopoly um, with a lot of things they do um, and very close shop exclusive. So, yes, but I mean, Apple also did it, and I'm pretty sure that people will still buy apps. So, what I'm saying is, um, let's do it now while still um, this situation is not too critical. Uh, because otherwise, what will happen is when we get into a financial in a more critical financial situation, then we rise <clears throat> prices, then we will lose customers, which then again will give us a much shorter backup before we will be in trouble. So why not just as a prevention rise prices, um, cut losses and move on? Uh, by the way, just like the zone did. Yeah, but as I said, um, on the one hand, I, you're true. So I don't say that we do not have to do it or we should not do that. But of course, um, the whole thing is a little bit more complex. We do not only have like news abos and that's all the revenue we have. So there are lots of other sources. And of course, there's also like something like uh, across um, 
subventions or something, so cross cross financing and everything. Um, but in the end, um, it's true from our perspective that prices are rising and we have to actually um, earn more money somehow. Um, but on the other hand, um, again, look at the market and this is the parameter that counts, the customer. And you have to have his perspective. So what is important for him? So it might be that uh, Apple might come through with that because Apple, as you say, is uh, some exclusive thing. And then people might say, um, okay, then I have a little bit less of bread, just not uh, two breads in the morning, just one. But then I have I go on paying for my Apple stuff. But you cannot be sure that they would do the same with their news abo, right? And um, so you as a provider, where should I try to earn my money? Which is the amount I can put or push actually back to my customer? What is he willing to pay and what not? And in the end, what is my loss and what is my win? So am I really better off if I make like one or two dollars more with the um, abo on the one hand, but I lose then a big amount of of, uh, of, of customers um, who won't pay anything at all because then they say I just pay my bread and the um, Apple uh, uh, items. Yeah. Um, so it's complex. And I mean, it's also not just about the subscribers, the customers you already have. At the same time, you want to uh, win over new ones. You want to win over a younger audience, um, like speaking as a publisher now. Um, so will you get them when the prices are too high? What will their priority be besides buying bread? Um, where will they invest? Will they actually also in times where news are probably not the most uplifting and motivating? Um, do they really want to, you know, dig deeper into that or rather spend it for entertainment apps, games, something that distracts them, all these kinds of stuff. I mean, this is like a also quite a big uh, topic uh, to discuss because um, it's like the, the daily struggle we have. But yeah, it, it's really, to put it uh, uh, simple, it, it's complex. And now this. Next one is from me. So uh, we already had <laughs> some discussion about TikTok and there is one thing that I personally found very interesting because TikTok is also adapting another concept that <laughs> others were doing. You might have heard about Be Real, which is another social media app that is a little bit different in terms of content creation. They do not value like this premeditated, heavily edited uh, content that you create for your viewers but in, they, they set uh, authenticity so they have this mode where you switch on um, like a front camera and your back camera and you post a video or a photo of whatever you're doing right now for example you are currently sitting uh, on your balcony eating a sandwich or something i don't know and then you see what they see like the view from your balcony and on the other camera they see you with your sandwich and this is simply authentically you and this is another way of providing content and this is what be real was doing that's what their image is doing it's, it's a niche that did not was not covered yet 
Um, and this is a mode that TikTok is now adapting, where they uh, introduced TikTok Now. I think they brought it out as a, a separate app for now on the US market. It's not rolled out everywhere, I believe. Um, and they, they think too. this might be a very interesting addition to your pre-edited content where you uh, like create special effects and everything simply to connect better with your audience. So you as a creator can show whatever you're doing right now and you have like every 24 hours, I think one slot or something where you can actually upload something like that um, for your audience to meet you in, in your everyday life with your front and back camera, whatever you're doing. And um, it's, it's very interesting. And this is another thing where I'm kind of sad <laughs> or i'm afraid that uh like creative um new young apps like be real might be quickly eaten up by the big players like tiktok i could imagine maybe youtube will bring out something like youtube now <laughs> i don't know something with exactly the same thing and soon everyone will have this front camera back camera authentic you show yourself once per day feature and then like clubhouse this one particular use case which this app was covering will be part of everybody else yeah but this is at at, at the same time like a uh, nod to this app creator. Uh, it's a great concept. We are going to eat it <laughs> and they will be out of business very soon. Will it also, like I think at Be Real, it disappears after 24 hours? Um, is something in the article also said or will that be different on TikTok now? That's a good question. Let's check. So they say uh, you have a 10 second video slot. No, I don't see it right now. But I could imagine that this makes sense, that this is something like um, a snapshot out of your life, not a video library that you're creating. So it it's probably makes yeah. sense, like stories, that it is something that is up, that is interesting right now. Um, but you don't have this this history of uh, the past two years of uh, TikTok Nows. Yeah, two years of you're sitting on your balcony with your sandwich, <laughs> like every, every day. time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could be interesting as well. Pro Product-wise and feature-wise, I'm totally with you. Probably um, the big ones will just eat that up, just these companies with this uh, one feature. So one feature wonders and then they are gone. And this is the usual way, like with Clubhouse. That was the best example for that. Um, on the other hand, the feature is such, to be honest, probably I'm too old for that. So I could not imagine to 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 watch something like that who who does actually but um yeah as i said probably i'm too old to understand that um yeah so feature wise i'm with you content wise i don't quite understand i can't i think, I think yeah sorry no no go please ahead. go ahead i already talked <laughs> I, I just want i just uh, no i just wanted to say that i think that um, Chris, I think you're right. Feature-wise, um, it will happen, in my opinion, also in that way. I think it's quite hard to implement a completely new app. So TikTok now, for example, which is, by the way, available in Germany. I have it if anybody wants to add me. Um, and um, it's a new app that you have to download and use. Um, the same feature also got obviously implemented by Instagram, by the way, all, a few weeks ago already. And um, if Instagram finds this valuable for its users, I'm sure that they will also implement like a time code and and a specific section of the app for specifically this two-way camera feature. Uh, so I think it 
it really depends. I think that, yes, one of the giants will eat it up. The question is which one. And I think it is always, I think in the end, it's always the question of what platform maybe already trained its users to be very close to that feature. And for example, there, I don't see YouTube, I don't see TikTok. I think that Snapchat and Instagram will in the end fight who will be the major player in this feature because they, we all are trained to work with pictures, snapshot stories and stuff like that in those apps. I think a very good analogy is the TikTok stories feature that is now available for close to a year as far as I know. and it never really took off the ground because it it's just not the way we use TikTok because TikTok is not the way we, TikTok is not the platform we open when we want to show something instantly and share it with the world. But on Snap and Instagram, we're trained for that. So I think that Be Real will be eaten up in the end by our very good friend, Mark. <laughs> Uh, thanks for, for sharing. I haven't seen the dual camera feature on Instagram until you said it. I just checked. <laughs> You're welcome. You can delete another app from your phone now. <laughs> I haven't even installed the other, so uh, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I waited long enough. <laughs> But I will actually install TikTok now because I, I, I thought it was only a US-based feature and um, I'm going to try it. I'm a little uh, bit um, worried because you a request, the, the app Charlie. only has two stars on the store. <laughs> Um, and I'm wondering, Is it, if, really? Yeah, it, it it seems to be very unpopular. Okay, it's just 10 votes, so <laughs> not representative. <laughs> But let's But see. But this means that you and I we could actually, yeah, actually, you and I we could really influence the way it's perceived in Germany, yeah, in the German app store, yes. Yeah. And in yeah. Peru. But, <laughs> 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 right, but uh, you just said something uh, interesting. Um, TikTok is an entertainment platform, so I really enjoy high-quality TikToks or entertaining TikToks while swiping through that. So I'm not really interested in authentic social media connections of my friends. That's not what I'm watching for uh, on TikTok. So it might actually be that um, it it might not be compatible, like stories. Yeah, so maybe. And now, this. And we have one more from Chris. Yeah, <clears throat> just a short one, actually. So, but I found it was quite interesting. So it is about monitoring of home office workers in the US. And uh, to be honest, I was a little bit shocked when I read that, uh, saying that 80% of the largest US corporations monitor their employees in real time, right? Like with measures uh, like like mouse tracking programs that take pictures of the employees in random times like with the with the with the integrated camera um, software that accesses the laptop uh, uh, and snaps the employees software that checks how much time they spend with zoom word excel and so on um, and even supervisors sometimes read emails and listen to work cell phones and so on. And the whole thing is totally legal, right? So I'm, I was really flashed when <laughs> I read that. And um, it seems also a little bit paradoxical because, I mean, when, when actually uh, the whole uh, home office thing came up, it was also a little bit like a promise of freedom. And now uh, it's actually being taken into the opposite, right? Now people are being watched and spied out uh, in their homes. And this 
seems to me a little bit like a dystopia. And as I said, I was I was a little bit shocked when I read that. So if, if that is home office, then I would not want that. But are you sure that this is I legal? I mean, this is a big um, newspaper which was writing all of that. And it said it's totally legal. It's um, American laws are actually quite... Uh, open there and uh, give a lot of leg leg legitimi legitimacy. Legitimacy. <laughs> uh, we need this button. Um, legitimacy. We need it. Yeah, we need this button. Absolutely. <laughs> Here we go again. Yeah, yeah, but it seems to be legal. So I was also astonished about that. But um, yeah, it is. It seems to be, and as far as I got it, it is legal. I don't understand. A few years ago, we had the NSA leaks. It was NSA, right? Uh, I'm not mistaken with the sh uh, with the short thing. Yeah, we had the NSA leaks where people were listening into phone calls uh, for national security threats, and this was blown up to the roof. Um, we had a big thing. It was like one of the biggest dramas ever in the U.S. in U.S. politics, U.S. society. And if this is true. And we are so much beyond that. I mean, I'm just mm. thinking, what if you open your work laptop? This is a very edge case, but I mean, we all, I'm sure we all landed in the spot once. And um, we, we open up the, the work laptop, but maybe you don't work. Or maybe you want to work, but you came out of the shower, but you want to listen in on a call or whatever. I don't know, what, whatever. What, I honestly don't know. But... There are so many factors what I, where I think this is a breach of privacy um, that NSA against this is a joke. Um, yeah, it, it, but there's a difference. It's crazy. There's a difference, right? So NSA actually um, was spying on, on private people, so to say. But here we are talking about the employer who is uh, listening and watching into his own um time yeah sure material right so it's it's in the end it's the employer's laptop which you actually are working on it's the employer's smartphone so um and he's paying you i would not say that you belong to him but in a way he might see it that way and uh, so therefore he is looking if his money is well invested <laughs> or not and as i said in in america this is not but a german the, but thing, yeah. not a european yeah, i do not know how they do that in america but i mean uh, Maybe that's different there, but if you look into our cases, like our work laptops can be used for private use as well. Like, where do you distinguish whether or not this is now a private moment or this is now a, a business professional moment? Because you can use your laptop for both. So this, I mean, I uh, it, maybe it's different there, but if, if that applies as well, this is really, yeah. Yeah, but maybe it's it's not like that there in the U.S. So here, this is this is a question of philosophy and and how you actually um, deal with your employees, and um, this is a commitment which you have. Maybe it's different there, but um, yeah. So um, it, it just shocked me also in that way because when when I'm thinking about all the discussions that I sometimes had with um, with workers' council when we, for instance, rolled out. Um, Uh, products like uh, communication products within the company and everything has to be safe and it has to be make, made sure that nobody can be tracked and spied on and everything. So this is really um, a regulation, a requirement from their side saying this should not be possible uh, under all circumstances. And now in America we see exactly the opposite and uh, 
so that was difficult to to grab for me yeah i think this is really an extreme example um i mean there are always these gray zone areas where for example you have your emails in the cloud and the the employer needs to access your email account because they are crucial Uh, client communications and while you are sick or something like that then this might be critical for the the uh, the company to access these emails while they are in the cloud but accessing your laptop camera while you are at home and this in a completely legal sense this is a absolutely breach of of privacy and of course i understand this argument it's your work laptop so taking this into your bedroom means like taking your colleagues into your bedroom and so uh, it's your own fault by by having like your work laptop open while you are in the shower um but still i i i can't see this as something that might be legitimate <laughs> in, in in the long term simply because it's not it's not feasible it might be some kind of pressuring your your employees to go back to the office like if you do work stuff do it at the office and so as long as you have your workspace at the office we are not invading your privacy and if you take work equipment into your bedroom then it's your own fault yeah so it might be a strategy of <coughs> discouragement But I can't imagine that in the long run this this will stay will stay legal if this is legal right now. Um, we have this example with um, our office where they introduced this facial recognition as entry system where you can enter the office by showing your face and the, the door opens. But even this is already like uh, fought against because of privacy concerns and uh, and um, data protection um, and this is at the office so you are physically in the building of your employer and even this is already fought against in terms of privacy um, uh, restrictions right and so I it's it's like really a horror um, horror movie imagination to have in the legal sense that if you take your phone, To, to your home so this means the same thing i have my work smartphone here and this would be legal to open up the microphone and listen to me while i'm sleeping <laughs> or I'm, i'm watching tv or something like that because it's it's a work phone I, i have this from my employer and so they could legally install spyware and simply uh, activate the camera and the microphone Yeah, but you know how it is, like, especially with data privacy, right? So this is everybody is laughing about German data privacy, especially in the US. So I could imagine that things are a little bit different there uh, than they are here. Yeah, but this is not a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course not. Yeah, so this was a little bit sarcastical. <laughs> but I could imagine that things are like that uh, over the sea or overseas so um yeah so data privacy is i think a special german or at least a european thing um definitely not an american thing as we have it here yeah that's extreme okay that's the last article for today and we are already over time thank you so much for your contributions um, i'm looking forward to tech review episode 34 then again right on time And so have a wonderful weekend since it's already Friday and have a great weekend. Bye. You too. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
If you are hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode. And for that, we here at Tech Review want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We hope this new episode was valuable for you. And if it was, please leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are listening to us right now. Share this episode with others who could also like it. Do you have a topic that you'd like to see covered in future episodes? Don't hesitate to tell us in the comments or on social media. We hope you'll be back for the next episode.